This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. talk about something today that I believe um, is important for Christians, for believers everywhere to be aware of. Um, I believe it's something that's important for believers everywhere to be aware of. Hallelujah. Um, I think it will bless you. And um, it's called Christian Conducts in Sapa. SAPA, praise God. Now, to those who don't understand the Nigerian colloquial term, it's just, a, it's just like a slang of sorts used to describe when a person does not have enough money or when a person is broke. When a person is broke, basically. So, how are Christians, how do Christians, how are Christians supposed to conduct themselves? What, what is the behavior of believers? What is our behavior? What is the character that is appropriate? What is the disposition that believers ought to have towards um, money? Or how do we behave ourselves during periods when we don't have much cash? When... Um, you know, we colloquially call it Sapa, and then someone, someone somewhere um, um, went ahead to creatively make it an acronym to stand for sudden absence of purchasing ability. <laughs> Praise God. So how are believers meant to conduct themselves when there's a sudden absence of purchasing ability? Hallelujah. How are believers supposed to conduct themselves? What's our disposition? And I believe the Lord will help me in a few minutes to you know, show that, show how believers ought to conduct themselves. The time, times when people don't have a money can be a time that constitutes a lot of um, emotional and psychological crisis for people. It leads to all kinds of depression, a lot of all kinds of downtimes and all kinds of stuff. People lose themselves when they don't have money. It's a time when, depending on the kind of context that you grew up from, if you grew up in a context where if you grow up in a context where you feel an entitlement to always having money, either based on your financial background or based on the kind of worldview that you've been exposed to, praise God, um, it can be a time of serious questioning. It can be a time of a serious existential crisis. Hallelujah. 
I don't know how many people can relate, but I mean, at least I think I can relate. Not having money, especially if you are someone who has big plans and have big visions for yourself, or you have responsibilities, you have things that you want to do, you know, and stuff. It can be it can be tough. Do I have any witness? When you don't have money, it can be tough, and it doesn't help the kind of um, society that we are today where there's a lot of you know emphasis and there's a lot of hyper materialism hyper sexualization of stuff hyper um w- worldlyfication of things it can, it can be tough you can't go on social media because on social media when you go there all you are seeing is all kinds of stuff of people doing well and there's no social media that spares you if you go on facebook they will oppress you if you go on instagram ha, that's even the worst if you go on Twitter, oh Jesus. Even if you go on LinkedIn, that's when you see your age mates that is 26 years old like you, has one PhD, two masters, is the CEO of a company and is on the board of two other companies. <laughs> You're 21 years old and you go on LinkedIn and then you see your classmates has just graduated from the University of Menene Menene Shikbang. In one country, while you with your 27 year old ass are uh, in one room, lying down your bed, asking God when. Hallelujah. It can be a tough time. It can be a tough time. And it's important. And it need not be, really. It need not be. A lot of issues, or I think over time we've been addressing those issues one by one. But it need not be. So I want to give you a coherent, irrational, and utterly satisfying approach to being to not having money to being broke how is that what do you need to understand about that period in your life what do you need to understand about that period in your life and how are you supposed to act are you supposed to conduct yourself when if you find yourself in such a time hallelujah praise god but i want to start by doing something i'm going to start by describing this the financial state i am talking about because one of the problems with um this issue of Whenever we're talking about money, financial status, prosperity, poverty, with regards to the gospel, one of the, re- one of the reasons why we believers tend to have a lot of disputes is that even the terms, the basic terms, we tend to differ a lot. What one person is thinking of is not what another person is thinking of. Do you understand that? So the terms poverty and prosperity are terms that are extremely subjective, are extremely open to all kinds of interpretation, that if one person is saying something like it's the will of God, of God will, of, will of God for you to prosper, what that person is saying is different from what the other person is hearing. Hallelujah. So that's why I want to first of all start by first of all explaining from scripture the way the Bible, the way the scripture puts it, the way the scripture, you know, the financial states that the scriptures describe, which corresponds and you know coheres with our experiences also. I want to describe what exactly I mean by Sapa. Praise God. I want to describe what I mean by that sudden absence of purchasing ability. What exactly does it mean to be broke? Because I was in school once and one girl was saying that she was broke. And she had a car. There was first scarcity at that period. She had a car that she had parked in the parking lot that she had not driven for two months. An Acura, nice Acura car. And she had like 100k in her account. As at that time, when I, at that time, you know, 
as at that time, I had never seen 100k in one place before in my account. <laughs> but she genuinely believed that she was broke. She genuinely believed that she does not have money because she does not know what it's like to have just 100 because she's accustomed to, she's accustomed to a certain standard of living whereby having an account balance of just 100,000 cannot live up to, cannot match up to the kind of life that she lives. So if, you, if it is possible to gauge the emotional and psychological states that she was in at that time, right? Her emotional and psychological state of depression with not having money will be the same as another person somewhere else who actually has zero money in his account. And both of them are feeling the same feeling of poverty. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? That same feeling of I don't have money, both of them have it. But both of them don't have the same actual amount of money. You see billionaires that you say one business, one company wants to do hostile takeover for them, and the account balance of their company is 2.5 billion naira. But they're used to trading in hundreds of billions. And then they will say we don't have money. They are bankrupt and they are stressed. And all people in their management apps, they are not happy, they are sick, they want to commit suicide, and they have 2.5 billion naira. You, as you are listening to me now, they 2.5 billion naira, like, how can you have to buy But to them, it is legitimate problem. <laughs> so, if I now say, um, Christian conduct in Sapa, one billionaire is hearing when you have only 1 million naira left in your account. Another person is hearing something else. There's some people that will be hearing this message and the first thing that comes to their mind is when they don't have money to pay their 500 naira per month rent. Sure you know. They're hearing this message and their own idea of Sapa is they can't pay 500 naira rent. There's another person that his own idea of Sapa is that I have only 50k left. Another person's idea of Sapa is I'm living in a four-bedroom mansion in Lekki but I don't have money to travel abroad. So I need to first of all clear the air so that we can be on the same page. So that I don't go ahead and preach and be happy with myself. I say I did some good preaching tonight. Hallelujah. Praise God. Somebody blessed in this place. And everybody is just every, 100 people have heard 100 different messages. Praise God. Are we together? Now, so there are two financial states that we see in the scriptures which coheres with our experiences as people. And before I begin to go into them, let me, let me say what they are. The first financial state is when you are in, when a person has the basic necessities for life. That means food, clothing, shelter, water. The basic necessities to survive. That is one financial state. You have a roof over your head, you have clothes on your back, and you have food to eat, enough to sustain you on a daily basis. That is an objective state of being, of having just enough. That is the state that most human beings, even for the last 100, 200 years of massive capitalism and prosperity, this is the state that most human beings have lived in. In all of human history, this is the state that most people have lived in. Most people literally, most people of, in all of human history lived from whatever vocation they were doing and just enough to eat and to sustain and take care of themselves. Church out together. Look at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 22. 
And then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap, and they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable, and how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? So Jesus begins to talk about people worrying about the basic necessities of life. And this is a legitimate worry. So, you know, context is important. I, I attended a, a seminar yesterday via Zoom. Dr. Peter Williams. Peter Williams is one of the, um, I think he's the warden of Tyndale House. Massive, massive scholar, massive. He did a seminar yesterday and it was open, so I attended it. <sighs> I think he's also one of the contributors to the ESV. So he did a, this thing yesterday, and in the program, he said some things about the, the kind of alliterations that Jesus, that Jesus did in his um, preachings and his messages. Look at the Greek text, the use of certain Greek alphabets, certain Greek consonants, and their allusion to, um, to the Old Testament and relationship with stories of the Old Testament. And I, I see, see I, don't, I, I was, I actually felt one kind yesterday because it now really dawned on me how much that <laughs> if we don't understand all this Greek and all these old, old cultures and all that, there are some things we might not really understand about the Bible. It's like somebody trying to understand this message 2,000 years from now without really understanding our context in Nigeria and how we're feeling. So much, so much depth, so much details about the way Jesus taught that if, if you don't know those stuff, you just won't understand. It gave, it gave me a new sense of reverence for Jesus' genius. No. He even taught those messages in such a way that in the original language, if you're listening to the message, it's easy for you to memorize. That's the way he taught the alliterations, the way he taught the sermons, the way he gave the parables. When they arranged them together, he, the way he used the words, right? If you actually listen to the message, if you are there, you'll be able to remember the message. Like, remember and quote exactly what he says. So it now makes a lot of sense why all the different witnesses, when they were writing their own account of the messages, the way they wrote the messages was almost identical. <laughs> Let me not go into all that. Now, this is what made my mind go there. When Jesus was talking about what we should not worry about, he was talking about a state of affairs. Imagine 2,000 years ago, Judea on the Mediterranean. They don't have phones, they don't have cars, they don't have all this technology, they don't even have antibiotics. They don't have what we have today. And Jesus is telling them not to worry. They have legitimate reason to worry about food. These were the days when you could literally die of hunger. Like tomorrow is not sure. You could literally live a life where you have only one cloth on your back for years that you don't have any change of clothing it was normal it was not strange or it was not an unusual thing it was normal 
in those days, now that the average person has 20 change of, change of, 20 change of clothing and you feel like as if you don't have enough clothes. You know, the days where people literally have one or two clothes, that's all they have and they are okay. Jesus is saying that these people, despite the reality of their situation, should not worry about tomorrow, that God will take care of them. We don't understand the depth of this until you understand what it means to live in 2000, um, 2000, ago, 2000 years ago, Judea. You don't really understand. Something that will be closer to it in our context will be to be living in the hills of Afghanistan. No. What do those ones say? Capitalism don't reach other side. Capitalism has entered those places and so it's hard to describe. Do you understand that? Now, this is a legitimate state of affairs where what you have is just food clothes, water. They compare you to the ravens and birds. Birds don't have plan for tomorrow. Flowers don't have plan of savings. There's nothing like savings. It is that state of affairs where you have just enough. See, you need to understand what I'm saying to you so that we don't misunderstand each other. It is that state of affairs where you have just enough to survive. Jesus says they should not worry about it. He now says, verse 27, consider, about the, consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I'll tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you of little faith? So, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. So Jesus says, don't have anxiety about what you will eat or drink. You see, there's no talk of any kind of largest here. Basic necessities. For the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. So now says verse 32, do not be afraid little flock for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not weigh out a treasure in heaven that will never fail. No thief comes near and no more destroys for where your treasure is that's where your heart will be also so this teaching is a teaching on the state of heart of a person vis-a-vis their financial status it is not a teaching that you should follow god so that god can give to you jesus is telling them don't be worried don't be worried do you know why because if you are worried about tomorrow if you are worried about what you will eat you won't be able to follow the kingdom you won't be able to give to the poor and sell your possessions do you understand that if you are worried about what you eat tomorrow, your instinct will be to hoard what you have now. So you won't be able to give to the kingdom. You won't be able to give to the poor. You won't be able to sell your possessions. So Jesus is saying, don't worry about tomorrow. Do the things of the kingdom. God will take care of you. So Jesus is not saying, follow the kingdom so that he will add those things to you. Do you understand that? <laughs> Do you understand that? Jesus is not saying, seek ye first the kingdom of God and the reward for it is that he will add all these things to you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, don't be, an- don't be anxious. Stop worrying about those things. Free your mind. Just do my purpose for your life. Do the will of God for you. And God will take care of those things. You will see by the end of this message how consistent this message is through all the scriptures. Now, 
So we see that, you, see, you guys appreciate that state of affairs? So this is a, a state of affairs of basic necessities. So today, what it will look like for someone like us is, if you are someone that you are living with someone, you don't have your own apartment, sometimes it can even be that you had your own apartment because of money that you had in the past. But you just have an apartment. You don't have money and you have not just you just have someone taking care of your feeding somehow you are getting fed and somehow you have clothes you don't have a job that pays you extra money you can't go to anywhere you can't do anything extra you are someone that is in the state of affairs that you have based on your financial standing you have legitimate reason to be worried about how you will eat tomorrow do you understand that you understand what I said I said you have a reason to be worried I didn't say you should be worried that is the state of affairs. So if you are someone that you are living with someone and um, you don't have your own place or you, you've lost your job and you don't have enough money for your family or for yourself even if you are single, you know that kind of state of affairs where you have just food, clothing and shelter. Food, clothing and shelter. We can accommodate people who are living under someone who is responsible for them. So in that case, they are not dependent. They are, in, they are not um, independent. Their entire sustenance is dependent on someone. Do you understand? Sure, you know they still have reason to be worried because if that person dies, there's a problem. Do you understand that? If that person gets angry and kicks them out of the house, you know there'll be a problem. Can you relate to what I'm saying? So that state of affairs where you are, let me just put it like this, where you are dependent on something external not your own resources you are dependent on on external entities for your survival let me give let me paint a picture in the old testament of something that looks like it and i warned you guys before if you care to listen do not use this state of affairs to preach to people or <laughs> or um, used to um, teach prosperity to people because if you are paying attention, you will notice that what you're actually doing is that you are, you are actually, what you're praying for them is not, is not the best. It's not something good. Eli, um, this is the story of Elijah. So let me paint a story. Of, let me paint Elijah's story to you from 1 Kings chapter 17. Let me just read through it. 1 Kings chapter 17. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, live here, turn eastward, head into the Kerith ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook. I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So, Elijah was dependent on ravens coming to give him food. Do you understand that? So don't tell people, give offering, and the way God brought ravens to give Elijah food, that will be your story. You not, that's not a prayer. <laughs> what does our give offer? The way God sent ravens to bring you food, God will bring. No, that's not. That's not. No, I don't want. <laughs> that's not something to pray for anybody. Verse five. So he did what the Lord had told him, and he went to the Kerith, um, um, to the Kerith ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. So this guy was literally eating what birds were bringing to him, right? And drinking water from the river. Guess what? He's the one that prophesied that rain will stop. So that river that he was drinking from, the water dried up. 
is this a good time to go into talking about my case is different? Or I should just free? See, <laughs> don't say your case is different. You have to be careful. This man of God is the one that prophesied that rain should not come, but he himself ate in the breakfast. See, and then Isaac was in the same land that lived a hundredfold, and that means that Nigeria can be upside down, but me. <laughs> Look at the quality of life that Elijah was living. Let's go on. You see, verse 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Amen. So the man prophesied that himself. You see, that is the reason why, like I told you guys sometimes, we were talking about God's hierarchy of values, right? This is the reason why to say things like Christianity is all about just preaching the gospel and going and has nothing to do with anything outside is not true. Because God is actually really interested in the course of nations. Do I need to remind you guys of that? God is interested in the way nations go about their things. Because the course of nations and the course of the politics and the course of all those things actually has an effect on how people's lives will turn out. As Apostle Paul said, I should pray for kings. Because all these people, they determine how you can live in quietness and dignity of life. That's why like Jeremiah was prophesying to the Israelites and he told them that when they get to Babylon, they should build houses and do businesses and marry their sons and marry their daughters. Because the prosperity of that land is also their what? Prosperity. Verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to him, go to Zarephath. So the water dried up, and this man was going to die of starvation. But God is the one that sent him a message. So God was what? Responsible for the guy's upkeep. God was responsible for the guy's survival. So God now said, go to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her, her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, um, he called and bring me please a piece of bread. Verse 12, and as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and little olive oil in a, in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and what? Die. And Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and for your son for says the jar for, um, for, for this is what the Lord the God of Israel says the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the Lord sends rain on the land and she went away and did as Elijah had told her so there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Hallelujah. One of these days, I'll, I'll teach a whole lesson on this chapter alone. A lot of things to say here. So, after the water ran dry, Elijah's survival um, was, at, was at stake. So, because God is the one that sent him the message in the first place, God now said, I will take care of you. Go to a, go to a certain place, you know. And that woman, I've directed her to take care of you. So, when, when he got there, guess what? It was oil and flour that the Lord somehow supernaturally ensured that it never ran dry until rain came back upon the land. Church all together. So Elijah was at the mercy of the woman. She was living, he was living with her. She was the one giving him shelter. She was the one giving him food. So he was literally at her. He was not independent. He was dependent on her 
for his survival. That is a state of affairs. Now, that is Sapa. Do you understand that? That is Sapa. Church out together. That, it was in, that is what it means to be broke. Hallelujah. But this is a very, very interesting thing that God does, right? This is a very, very interesting thing that God does. You know what he says about this? He says that this, this is the minimum. God guarantees that this basic minimum will be available to every child of God. And I, I even like to say, I even like to contest that not just every child of God, but every human being. Because God now says, Jesus saying to us, you know, where we read, he says that this life, at this very minimum, that God has said that he, he should not worry about it because he will provide at the very least. So, such that um, God is committed to organize your systems and your life and to order your steps in such a way that at the very least, you will have what it's, the basic necessities of life. Church, do you understand what I'm saying to you? Such that you can have the very basic of life. So, when, when we're talking about having more than enough, being rich and everything, right? You're, no, nobody's, you're not justified to look at the story of Elijah in this place or read um, you know, Luke chapter 12 and use it as a scripture to talk about how that you can have big cars and you can have jeeps and the same way God provided for Elijah, then God can also provide a, provide a big house, a big jeep for you so you'll be able to travel abroad and all that. They're not the same. Church, are you getting me? Are you with me? So this is a state of life that, um, you know, that Bible talks about. And Bible, look at Hebrews chapter 13. And so, because God is committed to taking care of this, that means that what you need to survive, God will take care of it. But if you don't see Hebrews 13 verse 5, the writer of Hebrews says, keep your lives from the love of money and be content with what you have. Keep your lives from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So, you know, the writers, look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'll, I'll tie everything together right now. 1 Timothy First Timothy chapter 6. Look at. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Do you see that? If we have food and we have clothing, so, when Apostle Paul and the writer of Hebrews is talking about being content, just like Jesus was also talking about in that scripture, Matthew chapter 6, Luke chapter 12. When I was talking about being content with food and clothing, now what he's talking about that, see, at the very least, God will take care of the basic things that you need to survive. God will take care of it. Therefore, be content with it. What does it mean when he says that, you know, that you should be content with it? Just like we read in the book of Hebrews chapter 13 now, what it means to be content with what you have is that you do not love money. He's not asking you to be complacent. We'll get there soon. He's not saying, having just food and clothing, don't do anything about it. Stay and be living in poverty and be broke. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying be content. What that means is, 
be happy, be emotionally happy, be psychologically happy and be full of joy even with that little that you have. Be in a psychological state whereby you are not willing to do any kind of evil or, or commit any kind of sin or do anything ungodly in order to get more. The difference between a content man and a complacent man is that um, a con- um, the difference between contentment and greed is that a content man may have little and is willing to do more to earn more but what he's willing to do is not to do any kind of evil or wrongdoing. Do you understand that? Do you understand what I just said to you? Let me say it again. You didn't hear me. A content man is a man who despite having little is willing only to do what is right to earn more. Do you understand that? So such a man is content but he's not complacent. He's content but he's not lazy. To be content does not mean to resign yourself to poverty. To be content means to be happy with what you have. So you can have little. You can be independent. You can be dependent on people where you are right now, but you are willing to work hard to make more money. So that at every point in time, irrespective of your financial state, you are always full of joy. Do you understand that? But a greedy man is a man that may have little and is willing to do anything to come out of that little. He's willing to kidnap, he's willing to steal, he's willing to lie, he's willing to slander, he's willing to abandon his family, he's willing to sacrifice his family, he's willing to sacrifice fellowship with God. That is a greedy man. Do you understand that? So when the apostle, so look at what the writer of Hebrews says again. He says that, see, having what you, um, having what you have, let your conduct be without the love of money and be content with what you have. So love of money, loving money is the opposite of being content church out together i hope that is clear to you so that is one state of affairs the second state of affairs is when a person actually has more than enough when a person is when a person has more than enough that means that the person have all that they need to survive and they even have enough to give to other people so that means that their survival is not dependent on another person's generosity their survival is not dependent on another person's charity the survival is not they don't have to worry about how tomorrow will be because they have enough to be able to say that in a couple of in a, you know in as much time after now they can still survive that is having more than enough now this second qualification of financial state of things is an extremely broad category that you cannot peg if an, a, a, an objective figure on it it is more of a state of affairs you can't peg an objective amount and say if you have so 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 amount in your account, that is when you can say you have more than enough. Church out together. The second state is the, is the more than enough state, um, state. And this more than enough financial state is not one that you can peg a financial figure on. For example, if you grew up in the home, my hometown or my mother's hometown where I grew up, right? If you are a person currently right now that is earning like 150,000, 200,000 per month, you are a man with extremely more than enough. I mean, you are, you are a man with extremely more than enough. You will be considered and be well respected. But, if you are a person earning 200,000, you don't have more than enough. If you are lucky. You don't have more than enough. You have more than enough. 
you understand? You don't have more than enough. You have more than enough. You understand what I'm saying to you? So there's no financial state to peg it at. What it means is that you have gotten to a place where you are earning money and you are not so much dependent on other people for your sustenance. You can look into your life and plan. All things being equal, right? You know, you can, you can look into your life and plan. Your life is... Yeah, let me show you what the scriptures describes it as. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Popular scripture. I quote it often. Everybody should read almost know it offhand by now. Ephesians 4 verse 28, the NIV goes thus. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do you see that? So, Apostle Paul is saying you should work so that you can have something to share. So this state of having something to share is not something you can pay a financial thing on. If you are someone that is earning money and you are independent, if you are earning money, once you start earning money, you will always find that even from the little you have, no matter how little you are earning, you can always have something to share with someone. Do you understand that? So it's not about having billions or having hundreds of thousands or whatever. This is a state of affairs that is above the last one, where you are living on survival. This is when you are earning money or you have a source of income that you can depend on, where you are not necessarily dependent on another person for your survival. You can still be dependent on other people for a certain quality of life. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? So you might need some people. You might be living with someone because you are living a certain higher quality of life. So you are living in someone's house. Person lives in a four-bedroom mansion and you're living with them and you say you are dependent on them for shelter. No, you're not dependent on them for shelter. I mean, if you have money that you're earning, you are dependent on them for a certain quality of life. If you're earning money, it means that you have enough money to move out of there and go and get a apartment somewhere else that is cheaper. You understand what I'm saying to you? So I'm not saying, I'm not talking about people who are dependent on other people for a high quality or high standard of life. I'm saying, once you are someone that is earning money, you are working, you are not stealing. You are working and you are earning enough money that if you are someone that is content and is managing your resources, you can have enough to need, you qualify as more than enough. Whether you like it or not. Whether you feel like it, Do you understand that? So, you get what I'm saying to you? Acts chapter 21. You see this? You see what he said there? He says, so that they may have to give to those in need. It's very interesting. Acts chapter 21, verse 33. Apostle Paul is giving his valedictory message to the church in Ephesus. And then he says, let's say 21. Sorry. I meant to say 20. It's 20. Acts 20. I have um, verse 33. Apostle Paul says, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. Yet you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. Apostle Paul was not living largesse, but he says he he says he had more than enough. I was supposed not living in largesse, but he had more than enough. So what is more than enough? You can earn and, you know, in contentment, you'll be able to share with someone else. It's very important that you understand the difference. So this second stage has a, a huge band. Dangote belong, belongs in this phase, in this stage. Do you understand? But the cleaner on the road that is earning her money, 
and she's getting paid for her services and she can pay her rent and she can feed her children, she also belongs to this category. Do you understand that? Bill Gates belongs in this category. But the security guard, earning his money, paying his bills, also belongs in this category. I'm sorry I'm taking so much time to explain this. We'll get into the message proper very soon. I'm sorry. I just want us to really be on the same page. Right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 11. It says, verse 10, let's start from verse 10. And in fact, you do love, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Work with your life, your hands, so that you can have a dignified life, so that you can, you know, be respected by everybody and you will not be dependent on anybody. You see that? So, any state of affairs where you can work and have and live by yourself, dignified, without depending on another person, then of course, this obviously, obviously requires different levels of prudence and self-control. But the point is that if you are working and you are earning, with what you are working and earning, you can live a, a quality of life that is dignified where you pay your bills, where nobody can look down on you because you are dependent on them. Do you understand that? Apostle Paul says this is the life that we should strive for. And this is how we ought to conduct ourselves. Where you earn your money and nobody is, you are not dependent on anybody. Sometimes it will just cost you being, being um, prudent. It will cost you making some certain sacrifices about some unnecessary things. If you are paying attention to what I'm saying, you will see that the things that are truly necessities in life are actually food, clothing, and shelter. There are many things that we think are necessity. We feel like they are necessity, but they are not. That is the reason why depression and problem in this world will never stop. But there's one thing that human beings always do. Things that were once luxury for them, they quickly turn into necessities. One moment, all of us were living our lives, we were writing letters to one another, and we were having romantic times. Beautiful stories were coming out of it, and we were writing romantic stories of how people write love letters to each other, and they'll see each other after nine months, and they'll have a good marriage. All of a sudden, phones were created, and it's like as if we don't have a phone, you die. Do you understand that? Human beings have the uncanny ability to make their luxuries, luxuries become their necessities. So, because human beings are like that, we can never be happy. Think of any great invention today that you feel like, oh, more this invention, if we bring it, it will be total luxury. That, in fact, if you live this life, you are going to be living large. You don't even need it. It's just making you happy. I guarantee you. If you teach it, if you bring it, we invent it, and we bring it to our lives in the shortest time, it will become so part of our lives that if we don't have it, we'll start seeing where is God, God, why, why are you doing this to us? In the shortest time. Many years ago, believers would gather, clap their hands and sing. 
no keyboard, no stage lights, no smoke screens, and no nothing, microphone. And we are having a good time. Now, if a church sets up and there's no keyboard, there's no setup and everything, they will be shouting, you will raise money. Let us give. This thing is important. Let us We are the ones that make our luxuries become our necessities. So, the reason why it's important for you to understand this is that when I'm talking about Sapa, I don't want you to be imagining that because you're not able to live a certain lifestyle, then you are broke. I'm talking about the real the real state of affairs according to human history, the way it is for human beings. I'm not talking about the one that you feel. Church, I get what I'm saying to you. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and not to be and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming of age that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Hallelujah. So you see this now, Apostle Paul is talking about in this same category of people, he's not talking about people that are rich, that have plenty money. You know, there are some people that actually have so much money that they don't know what to do with it. Do you know that? There are some people that have so much money that the problems they have, the psychological problems they have, is that their colleagues and their mates are building yachts and buying jets, but they have not been able to buy a yacht as big as their colleagues do. Do you understand that? It was recently I got to, you know, I got to know that a certain big American musician that we know is a billionaire and his wife is also a billionaire, right? They are very popular musicians. They rented someone's yacht to do a party. In their mind now, they will be saying, some people have yachts, we don't. We are not rich. <laughs> Praise God. You see, there is money and there is money. So, Apostle Paul is referring to a state of affairs where a person has so much money in this place. Hallelujah. So now let's get into the message properly. Now, so when I say Christian conduct in Sapa, this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people in type 1, that is type A, that is basic necessities of life. Do you understand? And people in type 2, let me show you something before I say it. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Second Corinthians chapter 9. I'll start from verse 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly. I want you to follow me as you are reading your Bible. I want you to hear what I'm saying to you. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all, at, in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So Paul is, is telling them, he's not just praying for them, he's telling them the spiritual reality. Do you understand? He's telling them spiritual reality. And what is spiritual reality? God is able to bless you. God is able to supply. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 8. God is able to supply such that at every point in time and in every way, you can always have more than enough to do something good. And what is the good work in this context? Talking about generosity, to be able to give charity to people in need. 
So God is actually able to bless a believer. Now you begin to see what God would prefer, the financial situation that God would prefer for, for, for people. So when we're talking about the will of God for prosperity, you begin to see it now, having defined everything properly. So Paul is telling us that God is actually, you know, disposed to make you have more than enough so that in having more than enough, you would always have enough to, to the end that you can be able to give and do good works to people. Verse 9 says that as it is written, they have freely scattered, give, um, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor and their righteousness for, um, endures forever. Now, look at this. It now says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. He who supplies seed to the sower. So the person that gave that sowed the seed is God that gave him the seed and bread for food. That means a person that is eating from hand to mouth that God is supplying their food is God that also gave them the food. Do you see that? Do you see those two levels? God that gives seed to the sower and bread for food. So those two levels of life whereby one person is eating bread that he can sustain himself is God that gives them the bread. There is also God that provides to someone so that they are able to give seed and sow to other people who are in need. Oh, are you hearing what I'm saying to you? He is God that gives bread to the sower and seed to the sower. He's the one that gives bread for food and seed to the sower. He's God that gives bread for food and seed to the sower. He's God that sustained Elijah and blessed Solomon. Do you hear what I just said now? He's God that sustains Elijah and yet blessed Abraham. That now says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. Do you see that? God wants to increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. So, God wants to increase your store of seed, He wants to bless you. I feel like I'm not getting to somebody in this place. Am I, am I getting to you? Are you sure you're with me? God wants to enlarge your store of seed so that your harvest of righteousness can also increase. What is the harvest of righteousness in this context? The harvest of righteousness in this context was the people that were blessed by the giving of this church. People whose thanksgiving went up to God by reason of their needs being met. So God wants to increase your store of seed so that you can have more than enough to give to people. God wants to increase your harvest of righteousness. God wants more people to be blessed by your giving so that they can give thanks to God. And the way he will do that is by increasing your store of seed. God wants you to have more than enough so that at every point in time and in every way, you can have more than enough to do good works. I feel like I'm not reaching somebody in this place. He says, verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous. Let him who is rich in this world not to trust in uncertain riches, but, be, but trust in the living God who gives us all things richly to enjoy and let them be eager and zealous to do good. I walked with my hands so that, my, so that I could take care of my needs and that of my companions. Let him that still, still no longer so that he can walk with his hands so that he can have enough to share with him in need. Do you see that? God wants to bless you so that you can be a blessing. If this scripture is read properly according to the way Apostle Paul wrote it, 
Number one thing you will notice is that God is blessing people so that they are, so that they can give. He's not blessing people after they give. Did you hear what I said now? Nah, you didn't hear what I said now. If you read this scripture properly, what well, well, if you see it now? Go and check. God blesses people financially so that they can give, not because they give. The things that are coming into your life, God is giving you those things. It's not because you pay your tithes. He's giving you those things so that you can pay tithes. Oh, don't, don't pay tithes, give. He's giving you those things so that you can set aside a portion of your income and meet the need of people. That's why if you go back to where we started from, Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Even when you're on basic necessities, don't worry about tomorrow. Sell what you have and give so that you can lay treasures for yourself in what? Heaven. <laughs> so, that means that all of the financial blessings of God in your life are given to you so that you can be generous. Let's read again verse 11. It says, you will be enriched so that you can be generous. You will be enriched so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in what thanksgiving to god so in this scripture according to this scripture we'll talk about giving some time to come according to this scripture what you sow is money what you reap is thanksgiving to god do you see that the harvest of your righteousness is that the poor give thanks to God for you. We'll talk about giving some other time. Hallelujah. Church, all together. So, when I'm talking about Sapa, right? When I say Christian conduct in Sapa, now let me tell you, I've described the state of affairs. So, we see what the will of God is. This is actually God's will. This is actually things ought to be from the beginning. We're actually supposed to have more than enough so that we can give to those in need. And those that are in need, their time of when they're in need will not be forever. When they're in need will be a temporary thing and they too will come out of being in need and they too will not have more than enough to give to those in need. That's why Jesus said, the poor you will what? Always have. So, whenever there's, a, when, whenever there's the poor around us, it is our job to have more than enough so that we can give. When those people come out of their need, when they come out of their basic necessities life, right, they will now also be able to give to those that are in need. So, listen to me, even though type 1, basic necessities, God guarantees that at the very least, he will take care of you like Elijah. Hmm? This is not where God wants anybody to stay. Because it is not a dignified place to stay. Where you are dependent on, look at our post where he says you go and walk so that you won't depend on anybody. The fact that God provides for this level does not mean that God wants you to stay here like the ravens and the sparrows and the lilies of the valley. He said, how much more valuable than, than they are you? You are more valuable than them, so don't think that God wants you to stay on that level with them. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Are you sure you know what I'm saying to you? 
Because God takes care of the lily of the valley does not mean that he wants you to be like the lily of the valley. If he wanted you to be like the lily of the valley, he would have made you like the lily of the valley. If he wanted you to be like a sparrow, he would have made you like a sparrow. But your life is more valuable than they. So God will meet your basic necessities. He will send people to you to meet those needs. He will orchestrate things somehow so that you will always have those things. He will send people to house you. He's able to give you food. That's not he was. He wants you to stay. He wants you to get to the point where you will work and have more than enough so that you can do what? Give to other people. So what am I talking about? What is this message about? Christian conduct is happening. I'm talking about the way a Christian ought to behave themselves if you are in number one or that is type one, basic necessities. You guys should give me nomenclature that make it easy for me to call it. If you are in type one, basic necessities, or if you are in type two, who needs or who wants to have more than enough to give to other people? If you are in type two and you feel a sense of urgency to do more if you're in type 1 where you're living on basic necessities and if you're in type 2 whereby you have you already have more, you already have more than enough and all that but what you have is not general you don't have you don't have a large store of seed and there are many things that you need to do with money right how do you conduct yourself if you are someone like that a Christian how do you behave yourself what is the Christian approach towards things? If you are in type A or you are in type B, who has responsibilities? Church out together. So, type 1 is objective sapper. Type 2 is sapper relative to responsibility. Do you understand that? What I said now, is it too, did I say too, is it too hard? Type 1 is objective sapper. That means that's objective brokenness. If this one is broke, that's what it means to be broke. Type 2 is brokenness relative to responsibility. When you have more than enough, but your more than enough cannot match up to your spiritual responsibility. How do you behave yourself? Do you understand that? If I figure what I just said now. How does a Christian behave themselves if they are living on basic necessities or if they are working and they have some earnings but the earnings cannot match up to the responsibilities that they have? Do you understand? That is how to conduct yourself. So, let me first of all lay a basic foundation before we go into, I don't think I'll preach this message today. Oh God. And I'll do something next Sunday. Let's go on. Um... So, first thing that, this is one thing that you must keep in mind that will influence the five, five things I want to talk about our Christian conduct with regards to this stuff. Now note this. You must understand that your financial situation is not God's fault. Your financial situation is not God's fault. It is your fault and or the fault of your context where you found yourself as a human being your country, your background, the way you behave yourself. So the fault is, whose fault is it that you are in Sapa? It is not the fault of God. It is the fault of yourself and, you know, it's a, it's a mixture. It's a co-interdependence or it's a, 
cofactors, they are cofactors, right? Of how you behave or yourself and the kind of context that you have found yourself. It is not God's fault. This thing is the first thing that must sink into your mind. Every feeling of where I am right now, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. I can't do what I need to do. I don't have enough. I'm broke compared to my friends and everything. And I'll say, um, God, where are you? God, where are you? Um, Lord, do something. I've been praying about this thing for years, but jobs are not coming and everything. See, please, just at this point, let me just tell you now, for, for, for one, right, that get it. It is not God's fault. It is your fault. It's a result of something that you are not doing, you know, acting on. It is the fault of the kind of situation where you found yourself, your context, the kind of country you are born into, the kind of background you are born into, acting on the kind of actions you have been making up till now. Do you understand that? For example, if you're a young person, you're not born to a political family or a rich family, business family in Nigeria, and you know, you're just coming up and you just finished school, and you're living in a phase where, you know, um, um, you don't have money. It's, it's very funny. It's very funny, and let me just be honest, it's kind of silly for you to now start crying and saying that um, the reason why you're still broke is because God has abandoned you. What are you talking about? God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Are you the only one? Get over yourself. Get over yourself. God has not abandoned you. The problem is that you are born in Nigeria. And in that Nigeria that you are born in, there are some things that you, should, you could have done to make your life better that you have not yet done. Do you understand that? It's no big deal. Every kind of superstitious, um, esoteric sense. Because this is one of the problems that, let me, not, let me speak for myself, right? The kind of background that I grew up in, there was this very strong esoteric sense of how money comes. The way, you know, the way our parents believed it and all that, there's this very strong esoteric sense that, you know, they just believe that the way money comes is such that God will do it. It's God that will do it. And it's God that will bring money into your life. So there was, it was never practical. It was never real. There's always this sense of, if you pray long enough and give long enough, there's a way that God will orchestrate things for money to come. It was very, you know, it was a shock growing up to discover that this way, the way money comes is actually not esoteric. It's based on what people do. People do things and their money comes to them. People do things and their money comes to them. Many times when people are thinking of that esoteric reason for coming, what they are referring to are things like luck, things that people did not really have an, you know, a hand in that brought much money to their lives. And they talk about people that were lucky that became big businessmen because of their background and everything. And this, is what thing, this is one thing that people know, and I want you to really understand, right? We are not all going to have the same amount of money, and we don't need to. Among these more than enough, this more than, in this more than enough category, we don't all need to have the same, we don't all have to be Dangote. We don't all have to be Elon Musk. We don't all have to be, we don't need to. There are some people that you will look into their life and you will see objectively what they call luck, where some things, time and chance, like that's the way you know, Solomon puts it, 
This is not to say the battle is not strong, but and the time and chance works for them all, right? So you see some people that certain kind of events will orchestrate and align for them to enable them to have a lot of money. But that is God in his providence working some things and doing some stuff. Not everybody needs to have that kind of money. Don't, not everybody. If you feel that pressure that um, everybody must have that kind of money and everything, if you feel like everybody must have that kind of money, there's something wrong with you. That means that materialism is eating up in your heart. Because having more than enough to deal and enjoy, you know, to having more than enough based on the work of your hands should be enough for anybody with the right mind. Because beyond having more than enough, eh, nothing changes in your life. After your basic necessities are met, once you enter that, that's more than enough category, right? More money does not solve your problems. Once you have entered this more than enough category, it doesn't matter how much your own more than enough is. If your more than enough is one billion and if your more than enough is 100,000, listen to me and listen to me well. More money will not make you happier. More money will not take your... Because the things that money can buy, the basic things or necessities of life that money can buy, once you have them, all the other things that make life meaningful, money cannot buy them. Listen to me. There are some things that money can buy that can objectively be a problem if you don't have them in your life. Those things are the basic necessities of life. Once you have those basic necessities of life, those are the things that money can buy that can make your life more meaningful, so to speak. Once you have those basic necessities of life that money, that without them, your life will not be meaningful. Every other thing, money cannot buy them. In fact, money can complicate some of them. There's a study that, that you know, Malcolm Gadot did some time ago and they found that, that those that earn about $75,000 per year are the ones who can become drug addicts and drug abusers. It's when you have plenty of money that you have drug problems. It's countries where there's plenty of money that you have drug problems. Look at me now. So now we're looking for money that there's, there's no... Where would I want to be? Even if they mistakenly get you hooked on it, the poverty alone and the lack of money will, make, will deliver you from, from it. Divorce. Marital problems. It's shown that more money complicates them. Because when you are young and you don't have money, that's when you can meet the love of your life. Once you marry more, once you, you, you notice that girls were not giving you attention, now you have plenty of money and you can see it and you can see that when you didn't look like it, girls did not like it. You will have trust issues. You will always ask yourself, this girl, is she loving me because I have money now? So exactly what I'm saying to you. So I'm talking about this more than enough thing. See, this more than enough thing is a matter of where God wants you to be. Just stay in your lane. When God has blessed you, let it be enough for you. If you're a doctor and you're any doctor's salary, be okay with it and where God bless you, be happy with it. If you, some of you, and you should be okay. You don't look at a businessman that is the CEO of an oil company and be saying, eh, I, ah, see the money, hey God, me too. I, you, as a doctor, do you want to kill yourself? Do you want to die? Why are you killing what? So, I get what I'm saying to you. So, listen and listen well first. We have to get this right for young people. Please stop the God blaming. Let me tell you where the problem is from. If you're in Sapa, let me tell you where the problem is from. The problem is between what you are doing and the context where you are found yourself. Leave God.
the things that you require to come out of it, God has made them available already. Do you get what I'm saying to you? How do you conduct yourself? First thing that you need to do, this is, what, this is how you act. This is how you conduct yourself when, if, when you are in that position or when you are in that place of Sapa. The first thing that you need to do is that you stay in fellowship with God. You stay in fellowship with God. You stay in fellowship with God. You don't let anything rob you of your fellowship with God. You stay in fellowship with God. You make supplications. You make requests. You make petitions. You stay in fellowship with God. You pray about it and you request. You make supplications and you make petitions to God. The Bible says about the guy called Jabez in the book of 2 Chronicles. It's a good lesson. The Bible says the guy was a, he was a more honorable man than his brethren and they prayed together. God enlarged my coast and blessed me and God blessed him. See, you can go down on your knees. If you are living by the basic necessities of life or you are earning some money and the money is not enough for your responsibilities, you go down on your knees and you say, Lord, this is not good enough. I want more. Enlarge my coasts and bless me. Look at First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5. Verse 6. Verse Six, humble yourselves under the under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he does what? He cares for you. See, if you are broke, if you are living from hand to mouth, or you are earning some money and the money is not enough for your godly responsibilities, cast your cares upon God. Go to God, kneel down. Say, Lord, this Sakba is not good. You guys have seen what God says now. You see that I did not quote all those Isaiah 60, all those scriptures, so that we don't get confused. I'm using Christocentric epistles. You see what Apostle Paul said. Can you be more Christocentric than Apostle Paul? Apostle Paul said, God wants to enlarge your store of seed so that you can be generous. God wants you to work with your hands so that you can have more than enough to give to other people. God does not want you to be dependent on others. You can maintain a life of dignity and quietness. You will do your lane because you have what you need. God wants you to be able to show up in church and there's a need for ministry and you will say, Pastor, how much is it? Give me the account number. It is the will of God. God wants you to be able to work so that you can take care of your companions, that your parents are at home and you can send money to them and they'll be okay. That's why God is blessing you. Listen to me, all of you. Your parents are at home and you don't send them money and you are working. You are doing something very wrong. God is blessing you so that you can do that. Oh. God is blessing you so that you can take care of people around you. When you have more than enough and people don't have where to stay, God is blessing you so that they can come and stay in your house. God wants to enlarge your store of seeds so that you can do more. Are you getting what I'm saying to you? So you can go down on your knees and you can pray about it. You stay in fellowship. If you're in that place where you have learned a skill and jobs are not coming, contracts are not coming, or you have been putting out applications and all that and all that, that is the time when we do more fellowship with God. Not do more, but you get what I'm saying, right? That's the time you stay in fellowship with God. 
You pray about it. You speak in tongues about it. You pray in the spirit about it. You make supplication. Look at the way Apostle, um, Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. He says, see, be anxious for nothing. But at everything, through prayer that is given and supplications, make your request known to God. And the peace of God that passes all human understanding will guard your heart and mind. You make supplications to God. You tell God that, Lord, see, this money is not enough for my responsibilities. I need more. This is the heart of, we're talking about the heart of a Christian home. We're not talking about someone that wants to earn money to oppress people. Don't forget what I said. You don't have enough money to, you're not earning enough money for your godly responsibilities. See after me. The people we're talking about, I'm not hearing your voice. The people we're talking about are the people who don't have enough for their godly responsibilities. We're not talking about those that want to earn plenty of money so they can be oppressing people. We're not talking about those that are crying that, Lord, Lord, uh, people are traveling to Dubai for holiday and I can't travel. What kind of thing is this, God? Am I doing what is wrong with you? We're talking about those that are content. We're talking about those that don't love money. We're talking about those that don't rate or esteem themselves or other people by how much money they have. That's what I'm talking about. Those are the people that will go on their knees and pray. Lord, I'm about to get married. I have responsibilities. I want to take care of my wife. I want to take care of my husband. I want to have kids and I want them to live dignified life. It is your word. You are the one that says we should walk and you will do this. Lord, the money for this marriage provide. I didn't say money for wedding. There are two different things. I'm not asking you to come and you are praying to God to God to provide money so you can do um, pride of life and lust of the eyes on your wedding day and spend millions of naira on all your savings to impress some people that don't care about you. Where some of them will come and be rubbing a mantle on your head and be rubbing your stomach with a handkerchief. That's not what I'm talking about. You want to get married as a young guy. You have responsibilities. I'm not saying now that you should not get married until you have money. Do you understand that? Obviously. If I, both of you are ready, you are both eventually married and all that, see, make the plans and trust God. This is where faith comes in. This is what it means to believe in God. This is what it means to receive God. You guys will start and you pray together and you say, Lord, this need, we trust you that you will meet it. You have the one that has been meeting our basic necessities. It is not a hard thing for you to open doors for us to have more than enough. Let me tell you the truth. If you really pray that prayer, see, let me stop here. We'll say the remaining four next week. We'll, we'll talk about the remaining things next week. Let me just stop here because this one, there's a lot of lessons to say on this point alone. Listen to me and listen to me very well. See, if you do this, if you are someone that is content, you don't have more than enough, what you will find is that doors will open. God will bring stuff to you. God will bring things to you that even those things that you have will be more than enough for you. The problem is that many people are earning money, but the money does not feel enough because their, their mind is not Christian. Their values are not godly. Their values are not godly. Both of you will agree and say, Lord, we want to do this. Open doors and make way for us. With the little you are earning, you will notice that you guys will be happy. Because the things that money can buy that are important, you will have them already. 
but the things that money cannot buy because you have not allowed covetousness to corrupt your heart you will not take actions and you will not do things that would um, kill those things that money cannot buy. That's what Apostle Paul is talking about in First Timothy chapter six. That then they have love. That the love of money is the root of all evil. Because because of how much they love money, those people are led into all kinds of harmful and lost, dangerous um, um, decisions that pierces their heart with soul and leads them to perdition. What that means is that someone who loves money, someone who values themselves or esteems themselves whose entire psychological state is a function of the amount of balance in their account, their account, their account balance. Such a person, they will do things. They will act in ways. They will keep themselves in a psychological state whereby the things that money cannot buy, that God has blessed them with, they will either truncate it or not appreciate it. Can money buy good marriage? money that will give you a lady or a guy that will love you with the love of God that will never do any harm to you that they are, what they are thinking of is how they can make you better can money buy it if anything money can make it hard to see imagine you are now a covetous person that is only thinking about money you will now see partners that have money you will not see the things that money cannot buy that they don't have. All you are seeing is what money can buy. And then you marry them. You now enter the marriage problem. That's what Apostle Paul was talking about when he said the love of money is the root of evil. It makes you do things. It makes you make decisions. It makes you make choices that can actually cripple the purpose of God in your life. Take it when I'm saying to you. So when I'm saying we we'll go down on our knees and make supplication, we're not talking about the prayer of the greedy man. We're not talking about the prayer of a man that loves money. We're not talking about the prayer of the conviction. We're talking about the prayer of the believer. Both of you, see, look how he says, he says, see, casting all your cares upon him because he does what? He cares for you. God is your father. Ah, I have some good message I'm going to preach after this, this series. God is your father. God is your father. So you go down on your knees. Right? You go down on your knees. If you see a good school for your child to go to, this school is good. This is not pride of life school where they are paying plenty school fees. Because that's another thing. We're not talking about pride of life school where they are paying precious school fees and because the children of big, big men are going to the school. No. I'm talking about objectively good schools that will impact your child and make your child to be better. You desire it for your child. And the money you are earning now is not enough to pay the school fees. You go on your knees and you say, Lord, I want my child to go to this school. Provide. God will provide. God will provide for a school that is good. I cannot guarantee that God will provide you school for pride of life. But I can guarantee you that God will provide you a school that is good. Do you hear what I just said now? I cannot guarantee you that God will give you pride of life school. There are Indian children in the school. There are Pakistani children in the school. When you go people in the school, I cannot guarantee you that. But a good school would provide. 
you get to a point where you don't have you know you, you, you need a way of moving around you trust God and pray to God God will provide means of transportation until the money for the car comes God will work it in such a way that if it's Uber you are taking you'll be getting Uber and the money to pay for the Uber will be coming God will make a way that your work God will work out he will work it out he always does he always does so this is a time when you spend time in fellowship and something else will happen during this period when you are broke. During this time, as you're spending time in this fellowship, as you're spending time with God, one other thing that will happen that you will notice is that that is the time when you'll be having visions and pictures of how the future is going to be. The kind of platforms and the kind of resources that God will be entrusting into your hands to handle. I get what I'm saying to you. See, during this time, that is not the time when you begin to um, shrink back from them and run away from them. Like I was saying earlier, this thing of having billionaires start, having, having billions and billions is not really for everybody. I want you to see, I'm not going to lie to you and say, God will make all of you billionaires. God is not going to make all of you billionaires. Some of you may be billionaires. Me, it's not what, what I'm billionaires for. I'm okay, whatever God will have me do, I'm okay with it. That's what I want. So God will not make all of you billionaires. It will not. But God will always give you more than enough. But listen to me. What God is going to do in your life, I've told you guys about platforms and, and gifts, right? What God is going to do in your life, the kind of platforms that he's going to take you into, during this time when you are praying about your finances and when you are in fellowship with God about your finances, God will actually show you some things. We're not talking about a greedy person now. Many of you are going to see things. Some of you will see in your future that are going to become lecturers. Some of you will see entrepreneurship and business. Some of you, but you will see all kinds of things, right, in this time. So this is not a time for you to now shrink back and be afraid. And, you know, shy away from what God is showing you. Praise God. No, you don't shrink back. What you do is that that's the time when you lean into it. You trust God for those visions you are seeing. You don't let your current circumstance make you um, doubt that those things are possible in your life. You understand what I'm saying to you? Many of the things that I've seen God do in my life, years after, were things that I was seen as a, a, a broke, 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 bloody broke boy in school. I said, because of that, I'm not going to say, no, no, no. You lean into it. Some of you in your state now, you will see visions that I'm going to be this. I'm going to that, be that. And in terms of platform, you are going to stand on so, so, and so platform. God is going to bring so, and so, so resources to you. Lean into it. We will not all see the same things. Because all, what God is doing in our lives is different. It is true. It's, it's something you cannot transfer. It's not transferable. Joanna now might be going on her knees and she's praying. And what God is seeing her, making her see, is the ambassador of Nigeria to China. Another person will see, um, 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 early, early teen or early children's um, molder or a teacher of children that most children in their young years I hope you know one is not better than the other and their salary will not be the same does it mean that the ambassador to China and the teacher of children that is molding your children is, is, is superior to them does it? no so you will not all see the same things so this idea of Lord, you know that's the song say, trust God for big visions. You know we are just preaching materialism. 
go away and tell you, Lord, trust God that God will make me a billionaire. That's not what we are seeing here. God will show you what he will have you do. Don't trust God for big visions. Trust God for what he will do in your life. Trust God to show you the purpose of his purpose for your life. You know, we'll say something sometimes. We say things like, um, um, if the vision is not big, it's not God. If the vision is not big, it's not God. Because God is big. So when God gives you a vision, it will only be a big vision. Look at Joseph. God gave him a big vision. So, if you are praying and the vision you are seeing is not big, then it's not God. It's yourself. Think bigger. Think bigger. Think bigger. Think bi Joseph is the only one in the Bible, Abby. Hmm? All the other people in the Bible are not human beings. The people that God did not show Joseph, they did not, they did not fulfill um, purpose, Abby. Get out together. Say, think bigger. Think bigger. Think bigger. The vision is not big enough, it's because it's not God enough. <laughs> Praise God. No. 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 See God's vision for your life. Lean into it. See God's vision for your life. Hallelujah. We'll talk about the rest next week, Sunday. Let's not rush it. Hallelujah. Are you bowed down your head and let's pray? Want to pray for yourself? Please pray for yourself. Please pray for yourself. 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 I can't hear the keyboard. Please can you increase the volume of the keyboard? I can't hear the keyboard. I believe God for you. I trust God in your life. Please, I want you to pray for yourself. That's what we talked about today. Fellowship, 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 fellowship. I don't know where you are. It's possible that you have gotten to that place where you have what you need and you can meet all your responsibilities. It's possible. Thank God for your life. But, right, but if you are, you've not gotten to that place, I want you to pray to God about it. So you, can, you can talk to God. You can make petitions. You can make petitions. You can make petitions. You can make petitions to God. God is your Father. God is your father, so you can ask for bread. You can ask for bread. You can ask for fish. You can ask for wine. You can ask for honey. You can ask for the good things. You can ask for the good things. In the name of Jesus. Sing that song now. All my life, I've been faithful.
been faithful, irrespective of where we are financially, God has been faithful. So I want to sing that song with meaning. Come on. hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.